Howdy and welcome to the 10-Week Bible Study. This is week 8, day 1 of our study of Isaiah. I'm your host, Darren Hibbs, and today we're talking about Isaiah 26. Well, welcome back to the 10-Week Bible Study. Again, I'm your host, Darren Hibbs. Would you join me as we pray before we start today? Lord, would you open our eyes and our ears to hear what your word has to say to us, God. Speak to us and fill our hearts with the knowledge of you. We want to encounter you in your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. With that, let's jump into God's word. We're reading today from the NIV. This is Isaiah 26, starting in verse 1. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. And let's pause right there. In that day, um, Isaiah starts this passage out. And, and it's going to be a song, but he says, in that day. So what is that day? Let's read on and see if we can find some context for that in this passage. All right, continuing on to verse one. We have a strong city. God makes salvation its walls and ramparts. Open the gates that the righteous nation may enter, the nation that keeps faith. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord, the Lord himself, is the rock eternal. He humbles those who dwell on high. He lays the lofty city low. He levels it to the ground and casts it down to the dust. Feet trample it down, the feet of the oppressed, the footsteps of the poor. So here, Isaiah is talking about, you know, this city. What city are we talking about? We're, we're talking about Jerusalem in this, in this city, uh, in this song here, right? Uh, we start out with, you know, the land of Judah, but the strong city obviously is going to be the city of Jerusalem. And so we've got all of this stuff going on, right? You know, there's going to be perfect peace in this day. So that's giving us a little bit of an idea of when the that day is going to be. There's no perfect peace right now. There's only one time there's going to be perfect peace, and that's when Jesus himself is ruling and reigning over the city of Jerusalem. There is no perfect peace before that. And so Isaiah is calling everyone to trust in the Lord forever, the one who is the rock of Jerusalem. Right? And so we're talking about how he's going to to lay any lofty city low. He's going to level it to the ground. This is very interesting because this sounds a lot like in the book of Revelation where practically every city, the, the book of Revelation says every great city is going to be leveled to the ground, the earthquake or whatever else. However, he does that, but it's going to be leveled to the ground, which is terrifying to think about. But what Isaiah is showing here is that the Lord is going to exalt the city of Jerusalem, the place where he has said forever, I will sit on my throne in this place and every other city will be brought low. Every other kingdom, everything else will be brought low. He will intentionally humble them and he will rule and reign from Jerusalem. So let's continue on verse seven. The path of the righteous is level. You, the upright one, make the way of righteous of the righteous smooth. Yes, Lord, walking in the way of your laws, we wait for you. Your name and renown are the desire of our hearts. My soul yearns for you in the night. In the morning, my spirit longs for you. When your judgments come upon the earth, the people of the world learn righteousness. So this is an interesting thing. Isaiah here is, 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 is speaking 
and talking about how uh, he's yearning for the judgments of the Lord. And this this term judgment, it it gets such a bad rap in our context because we we think of it as like, oh well you're judging me and you know we shouldn't judge each other and and Jesus says you know don't don't judge you know unless you want to be judged um but that's not what we're talking about here this is a completely different thing right we always have to think about judgment especially judgments of the lord when when we're thinking of um, going and let's let's say we've been accused and we're going before the judge We are under judgment when we've been accused. We go before the judge, the one who's going to hear the case, and what we want from the judge is judgment. We've been accused. We want him to bring judgment on our case, and specifically, we want him to judge righteously that when we've done nothing wrong, that he judges that and says, hey, this person's done nothing wrong. They're free to go. They're innocent. We, If we are accused, we want judgment. Judgment isn't a bad thing in that way. Judgment brings righteousness. Judgment brings, uh, you know, freedom when we've done nothing wrong. And that's the judgment that we're talking about. The Lord is the one who judges righteously. And so we want his judgments on the earth. We want him to come and bring his judgments. We should, as Isaiah is saying, we should, our souls should yearn day and night when we go to sleep and when we rise. We should see, I mean, in Isaiah's day, he didn't have access to the internet and just all of the information that we do. And still the news of everything that's going on is so troubling to him. He's going to sleep and waking up in the morning thinking, Lord, how long until your righteous judgments come on the earth? How much more today? Well, we have access to all this news and it's just always negative. All of the, the the bad things that people are doing to each other and individual situations and nations. And it's like, Lord, how long until you bring your judgments on the earth? Now, Isaiah says something very interesting in verse 10. Let's look at that. But when grace is shown to the wicked, they do not learn righteousness. Even in a land of uprightness, they go on doing evil and they do not regard the majesty of the Lord. This is a very interesting phrase. And it's something that I think we need to take to heart as believers. There's, I think, a very good idea that's seated within Western Christianity that we should have grace for people, that we should extend grace and mercy to people. What Isaiah is saying here is that that is essentially proverbial in nature. It's not universal. Extending grace to everyone all the time just because is not a good idea. Because there are people whose hearts are bent on wickedness and showing grace to them does nothing. It doesn't help you and it doesn't help them. Showing grace to the wicked is just going to allow them to keep on doing bad. So there's times when you have a, a, a track record with someone who only does evil, that showing grace to them, showing mercy to them is not good for anyone. Now, Jesus told Peter, you know, Peter says, hey, how, how many times should I forgive my brother? And he says, 70 times seven, right? It's, it's, it's this idea of it's a hyperbole, right? It's not 490 times. It's, it's really just, you, you have to keep forgiving. And there's a difference between forgiving someone and showing them mercy. 
showing them grace. Forgiveness is largely for us. Like we forgive them for the things that they've done to us. That frees us. But that doesn't mean that we show a wicked person, someone who has a track record of wickedness, doesn't mean we show them mercy or grace. Right? Sometimes when someone has a track record of of doing evil, bad things, there is no mercy or grace to be extended to them. If they're not going to show mercy and grace back, none should be extended to them. Now, again, this is a different issue than forgiveness and and you know how we relate to them. And we have to forgive them because that's something that locks us up. The forgiveness is really, I mean, if I say I forgive you, even if they're not repentant, that does nothing for them. They don't care. No one's going to care if I say I forgive you and they're unrepentant about what they've done to me. That means nothing to them, but it means a lot to me. It frees my heart. Forgiveness is, is for me. But if they have, someone else has injured my family and done something to my family, I don't say I forgive you and I, I extend grace to you. You're welcome to come back into my, my sphere, my family and, and keep hurting me. No, that's, that's, that's lunacy. That's, that's craziness. And that's what Isaiah is saying here. But I mean, that is the, an extension that happens very often of this idea of forgiveness and how we need to, you know, forgive people and, and, and. That's that's not reality. That's not reality. Just because we forgive them doesn't mean we extended them mercy and grace when they don't deserve it. Now, there's very often times the Lord will call us to extend mercy and grace to people, even people who have been wicked in the past when they show true signs of repentance. But if there is no signs of repentance and they just want to keep on going wicked, you do them no good by showing them mercy or grace. I think this is a very important point. This is this is not the only time in scripture where this is very, very clear. But Isaiah is saying, listen, in the context of the city in this day, Lord, you're going to bring your righteous judgments and you are going to show no mercy to the wicked. You are going to show no grace to the wicked. And that's the difficult part, right? So when if if someone has harmed us we need to forgive them but then being able to to show no mercy or no grace can look like unforgiveness and that's where it gets really challenging for us to to judge righteously right if we have been harmed and and we're harboring unforgiveness even if we're trying to forgive it's still always a struggle how do we then not show mercy and grace in the midst of forgiveness? And that's tough, but it's not tough for the Lord. His righteous or his judgments are true and righteous always. And so in the case of these really difficult situations that, I mean, how often do we find ourselves in interpersonal conflicts and situations where it feels like there's no solution here? Jesus is the righteous judge and he has a solution. Verse 11. Lord, your hand is lifted high, but they do not see it. Let them see your zeal for your people and be put to shame. Let the fire reserved for your enemies consume them. All throughout scripture, the Lord says, I will be your vengeance. Don't seek your own revenge. Don't seek your own vengeance, your own vindication. Let me do that for you. And there's a reason for that, right? I mean, there's times where we have to judge as righteously as we can. And again, we forgive, but then we don't show mercy or grace because the people don't deserve it. And uh, 
And so that's a difficult thing, but my goodness, how much better will it be if we say, Lord, you deal with the wicked. You deal with the people that are coming against your people, against you know your holy people. You deal with them. Let them see your zeal for your people. And the Lord stands up from time to time when his people are crushed and pushed down and persecution and, and whatever else. The Lord does stand up for them. He's done it throughout history. There's times where we lose the ability to judge. We are, you know, when Christians are pushed down, when when his people are are persecuted to such a point and 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 removed essentially from society, there's there's times where the Lord stands up and he shows his zeal for his people. Verse twelve, Lord, you established peace for us. All that we've accomplished, you have done for us. Lord, our God, other lords besides you have ruled over us, but your name alone do we honor. They are now dead. They live no more. Their spirits do not rise. You punished them and brought them to ruin. You wiped out all memory of them. You have enlarged the nation, Lord. You have enlarged the nation. You have gained glory for yourself. You have extended all the borders of the land. Now here again, Isaiah is talking specifically about Israel, talking about the land of Judah, about Jerusalem. Um, You know, there's been times in the past and there's going to be times in the future for Isaiah that other nations and their gods is essentially what he's, what he's saying is other people's false deities have come and been brought to rule over Jerusalem and the people of Israel. But all of them will die. All of them, you know, exist no more. What Isaiah is saying is they, they, I mean, they never really existed. They're, they're demonic. They're not real. They're fake. They're phony. But for this period of time, when other nations come and defeat them and their gods rule over them, it's this idea is, you know, it, it kind of becomes this, this reality for them while it's happening. Even though the gods are, are fake, they're not real. Their reality is they're being ruled over by these fake gods. But those get swept away and the gods change and they morph and they get different names and they get different aspects. And, and so it's like none of this stuff exists. The Lord God, he never changes. Right. This is one of the the interesting things in Scripture that's over and over and over again. Is the Lord He doesn't change, and that's in relation to all of the other phony gods. They change constantly. They they gain new powers and they gain new insights and they get you know they're they're it's it's always these stories and things are being added and subtracted to them and their names change. All of this right. If you go from Greek gods to Roman gods, a lot of them are same, different names. They have different powers and. Our God, he does not change, right? He is is the same yesterday, today, and forever because he's real. Everyone, Everything else is this made-up story, but our God does not change. <clears throat> Let's continue on. Verse 14, they're dead. They live no more. Their spirits do not rise. You punished them and brought them to ruin. You wiped out all memory of them. I wanted to go back to this. You, verse 15, you enlarged the nation, Lord. You enlarged the nation. The the nation of Israel, it, it contracted and expanded, contracted and expanded. We're talking about in that day. In that day is how Isaiah started this whole passage off when all of this happens. And, and I think 
by now we can see this is talking about end times, return of Jesus. He's ruling in righteousness over Israel, and he's going to enlarge the nation. It's interesting that Isaiah says this twice. Anytime scripture repeats itself, it's something we should take note of. He's saying, you enlarged the nation, Lord. You enlarged it. You are the one who finally came and gave us this land that you promised to us. And then you've gained the glory for yourself from this. Let's continue on. Verse 16. Lord, they came to you in their distress. When you disciplined them, they could barely whisper a prayer. As a pregnant woman about to give birth writhes and cries out in pain, in her pain, so we were in your presence, Lord. We were with child, we writhed in labor, but we gave birth to wind. We have not brought salvation to the earth, and the people of the world have not come to life. So Isaiah is saying, listen, you're going to come and you're going to bring this righteousness, but we've failed. We've failed at it, right? It's, it's like, you know, when a woman is is about to give birth, she writhes and she's in anguish and then she gives birth and there's there's this new beautiful life. And Isaiah is saying, we, we've lacked righteousness. We've lacked the ability to judge righteously so that we writhed and we went through this agony of labor. But when we gave birth, we gave birth to the wind and nothing. We have nothing to show for ourselves. The world is not seeing the salvation that you desired to come through your people. None of that's happened. And, and Isaiah is saying, essentially, like, we're really bad at this. We're really bad at this. And don't think that this is some kind of like anti-Jewish rant. If if it was up to you or me, if we were to look at, at Christianity throughout the ages, like we're really bad at this too. We have, have, have so many skeletons in the closet throughout the history of Christianity. It's not that we have brought righteousness to the world. Christians haven't done it. It's the Holy Spirit has continued to do it in spite of us most of the time. And so I think any believer, the same as Isaiah is saying here about the, the people of Israel, any Christian can say the same thing about the, you know, the Christians throughout history is, is we have failed at this, but you bring righteousness. You're going to bring salvation. Verse 19, but your dead will live, Lord. Their bodies will rise. Let those who dwell in the dust wake up and shout for joy. Your dew is like the dew of the morning. The earth will give birth to her dead. This is just one of the most clear passages in the Old Testament about the resurrection of the dead. And this is one of those things in the Sadducees didn't believe that there was a resurrection of the dead. Jesus uh, very seldom rebuked anybody for their theology. There was always something else going on that might be the actual root cause for why their theology is bad. But when Jesus comes to the Sadducees, he's talking to them about this fake story that they came up with about the resurrection. He's like, you don't understand the power of God or the scriptures, right? This is just too clear to ignore. There is a resurrection of the dead. Verse 20, go my people, enter your rooms and shut the doors behind you. Hide yourselves for a little while until his wrath has passed by. See, the Lord is coming out of his dwelling to punish the people of the earth for their sins. The earth will disclose the blood shed on it. The earth will conceal its slain no longer. So this here, we, we, we finish this passage with our understanding of what that day is. And Isaiah is specifically talking about the day of the Lord when Jesus comes to, to judge the earth, the end times. And he says, and this is a, an interesting point here. He says, all of you people of God, go in and shut your door and hide for a little bit until God's wrath has passed 
by. <clears throat> there's there's so many theologies that are surrounding the end times that Christians and, and God's people will be um, raptured and spared from the end times because, you know, he hasn't appointed us to wrath, um, which is very true. The Lord has not appointed us to wrath, but that doesn't mean that believers and, and other people will not be in the end times, that there will be some rapture before then um, because of this idea of wrath. Like God's wrath and God's people can coexist on the earth at the same time. It's not like God can't, you know, discriminately pour out wrath and and peace and justice at the same time. He, he can. He did it in Egypt, right? God's wrath was poured out on the Egyptians and he spared the Israelites in the same way. The Lord's promised over and over throughout scripture about the end times that his wrath will be on display in the earth, but it's not going to touch his people. It's going to touch those who make war against him and his people. And so God's wrath and God's righteous judgments and God's protection can all coexist. It's not like the Lord is like, I've got to pour out my wrath, but I don't know how to do it any other way, but indiscriminately. That's not how this works. And so if you ever looked at the end times and looked at the judgments that are in the book of Revelation, be like, I don't want to be there. Actually, I think if you were in Egypt, even though uh, if you were an Israelite in Egypt and you saw the judgments of the Lord on the Egyptians, it'd be like, holy cow, this is amazing. Um, Holy cow is probably the wrong word there since they ended up using a holy cow as as a false god. But (laughs) you get what I'm saying is they had to have been like, oh my God, look at what you've done. Now, in the midst of that, the Egyptians continued to press down on the Israelites during the period of that judgment. And those are the things that happen simultaneously in the end times is the Lord brings his judgment against the wicked and the wicked double down in their rage against God's people. Those things happen simultaneously in the end times and not just the end times, they happen simultaneously throughout history. This is not something new to the end times is that the Lord releases wrath and judgment and that the people who are receiving that wrath and judgment take it out on God's people. That's always happened. What makes it different about the end times is the scale at which it's going to happen. But in in different contexts and localities, that's always taken place. It, It comes and goes, it ebbs and flows. So the end times is nothing new. It's just so much more of something that's always gone on, that it ramps up to a point of unsustainability to where the only way the earth is saved is by Jesus returning. That's the difference between the end times. And that's the day that we're talking about here in Isaiah chapter 26. For the 10-week Bible study, I'm your host, Darren Hibbs, and I can't wait to see you next time. Hey, thanks for watching the 10-week Bible study. If you've enjoyed this, would you consider doing that whole like and subscribe and bell thing you're always hearing people talk about? It really helps other people find out about the show, and my heart is for people to fall in love with God's Word. Thank you.